Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and friend, Have you ever wanted to follow Jesus, but didn't want to give him everything? Have you ever wondered if you really sought biblical wisdom on topics like sex or sexual identity, that God might take something good away from you? Well, today we're going to be talking about those deep topics and more. And today's special guest, well, he spent years preparing for conversations like these, and that's good because I think our May co-host, Becca Schultz, is going to do a great job of asking him some tough questions today. And friend, I'm excited you're listening in for season four, where I'm inviting co-hosts and guests on to share their stories and also asking guests to address some of my co-hosts' honest questions. If you haven't already listened to my co-host share her personal story and questions she has about faith on the podcast, I encourage you to please go back and take a listen. We'll make sure there's a link in today's show notes. Becca Schultz, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited you're here. I know you're busy with school. Is right now like finals time? Yeah, it is finals. <laughs> That's always crazy. So do you get a break after this? Are you done with school right after this? Yes. I okay. am done for like three weeks and then I go straight into summer camp mode. Wow. Oh my gosh. Is it kind of bittersweet? I always felt like a bittersweetness at the end of the year. Or are you just done? I don't have the bittersweetness. <laughs> Uh, This online semester just wasn't fun. I am very excited to be done. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) And what year are you going into? Are you going to be a sophomore next year or junior? I don't know. I might go into my junior year, but it's like year-wise, I'll be a junior. I don't know. It's very confusing. Very cool. Well, after finals week is over... um, I'm guessing you haven't started Crazy Love or uh, reading through the Gospels yet. I did read through the Gospels a little bit. You did? Hey, in the middle of finals at at a party school? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. (laughs) I'm impressed. Okay, Crazy Love after... after finals week. Um, Well, friend, before we welcome our special guest today and dive into a big conversation, I want to take a moment and thank those of you who support this podcast, either financially via Patreon or through things like sharing and leaving reviews. Recently, someone named Watcher7T left a podcast review on Apple about what they called a new favorite show. 
and I feel like this person must know me because they spelled my name right, and that's a hard feat. But they said, and I quote, Janelle has such a gentle and loving way of talking about faith and questioning the existence of God. Her own faith has been challenged, and she is transparent with her audience about her own struggles. She has fantastic guests on the show who are great apologetic voices. These are thought-provoking conversations that will strengthen your faith. She never comes across as judgmental or pushy. I highly recommend this podcast. Well, thank you so much, Watcher7T, for that endorsement and encouragement. I don't know if it's all true, but I hope so. And friend, I know I talk a lot about Patreon on here, and perhaps not everyone can be a Patreon supporter, but if you listen to this podcast, it only takes a second to rate a podcast in your favorite app or a couple minutes to leave a review. That's a huge support because often people who are new to a podcast see how many reviews there are before they begin listening. So if you want to pause this episode right now and do something that matters, would you rate it or leave a review? That would be huge. And I promise from time to time, I'll share what you have to say as it really makes a huge difference here. So thanks for that. Today, friend, I'm excited to welcome a special guest. Lou Phillips is a speaker based in Atlanta, Georgia. After majoring in molecular biology and political science in college, Lou received his Certificate of Theological Studies from Oxford University, Wycliffe Hall, and was trained at ACCA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics in the UK. Lou first discovered his love for evangelism and apologetics while briefly working in Washington, D.C. as a legislative correspondent for a senator from Oklahoma. This passion grew further when he traveled across the United States for three years as a main speaker for a teen evangel evangelistic outreach. Since then, he played a role in student. He has played a role in student and young adult events all throughout the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and the Middle East. He is most interested in topics such as meaning, identity, and purpose as they relate to the Christian worldview, especially in the lives of students and young adults. He is convinced that it is essential for Christians to find ways to discuss the most controversial issues of today, but in a respectful and compassionate manner. Wow. I think he's the right person to be on to talk of today, wow. Becca. Lou so. Phillips, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. Well, thank you very much, Chanel, and thank you very much, Becca. It's nice to meet you both. Oh, my gosh. Well, you told me that that wasn't as, as impressive as it sounded, but it sounded pretty impressive. I, don't know. I tried telling you it really, it really isn't. I promise you. I don't remember a single thing from molecular biology. Like I thought I was going to be a physician my whole life. Like that's why I did it. Um, and I, that, that current, that corner turned a few years ago and I don't, <laughs> I would get just destroyed by any high schooler right now taking AP biology or something. I wouldn't remember. I forgot it all. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Becca, are you taking that right now? Cause I know you want to be a science teacher. I am taking, um, geology and just physical science right now, but next semester I'll take biology. Yeah, yeah. fun. <laughs> good yeah. luck yeah. with that. I hate science. Um, shout out to Casey Leander for raving about you and connecting us. Uh, I was giving him a hard time before we started uh, recording, but uh, truly, really, really like Casey and what he's doing is so important. So Casey, if you're listening, um, I was just teasing you. Um, so Lou, before we jump in here, I'm interested to know, how did you go about discovering your passion for Christian apologetics while working in politics? 
Oh yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, so I initially moved to DC because um, I was a very type A driven, going to be a physician my whole life up until, I mean, I started like four is when I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Wow. Um, and when I graduated from college, um, I wanted to take a gap year to do, uh, to study for the MCAT and, and quite frankly, boost up my resume. Cause you know, when you're applying to med school, like everyone looks the same. You all have a science degree. Do you have anything to, to make you stand out? And my second degree is political science. It just came naturally to me. I love the political realm. And so I went there not knowing what that would do, but what I realized was um, so much of culture is, is upstream from politics. And so if you really want to change this world, I think so. I'm, I'm a big fan of politics. I'm not saying don't get involved. I think that's one, one way to go about it. But I was more passionate about um, changing culture because I think that actually influences cult, or influences the, the politics that we then we see day to day. Mm. And, and I think Christian apologetics deals with culture, right? It's saying, let's actually grapple with the questions people have. Um, unfortunately, that's not always been the case, right? Some people, I mean, depending on where you grew up and what your church said, some was like, don't question, because if you question, that's a lack of faith, and you have a lack of faith, you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so it just silenced everything. And unfortunately, um, gosh, I think that's done a lot of damage. I, I don't believe that's biblical. I don't think that's even God-honoring. Um, I think scripture is all, I mean, all throughout scripture, it tells us to, to really wrestle, like God has given us our minds to better understand the God who's created that mind. And so, yeah, I, I think when I was DC, it just, it just made sense that while I was doing, while I was very passionate about changing these things, because I, I do, like I said, I do think politics matters and policy changes lives. I just noticed that the things that I was most passionate about actually were won by culture about 20 years ago mm. or 15 years ago. So I was like, if I really want to change something, it's not going to be here. Um, this will help, but I want to go further. And I think that's just, yeah, kind of where it started. Wow. So for somebody who at age four was already saying that you were going to be a doctor, um, what, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, politically, this is probably a better way to address culture, yeah. but you know, doctors heal people, you know, they help people, yeah. that kind of thing. What made you decide to give up that dream? That's a big yeah. Oh gosh. I'm not going to get into that whole, it's a long story, but it's a really cool, honestly, it's just, just such a beautiful God story. Um, long story short, the Lord just showed me, um, through time and over years and getting to speak that, um, that I was far more passionate about other things. And I was really, really the, my, my core motivation to be a physician is because if I did that, I knew my life mattered, mm-hmm. right? If I did something prestigious, finally, um, because when you say you're going to be a doctor, there's not a single person in the world that's like, hmm, okay. It's always like, wow, that's amazing, right? But if yeah. you say anything else, like politician, lawyer, doctor, engineer, those things, people love to say that. And, and at a young age, I caught on that. Now, I really did have a genuine interest in medicine. I still will. I think I always will. The beautiful thing is this one. After I got into med school and I was planning on going, I was, I was fasting and praying just in January before I went in August. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, this isn't it. This isn't it. And I just fascinated. And finally, I just believe he really said, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. And the craziest thing is that when I actually said no, when I sent the, email, the letter back and said, you know, what, I'm not coming in the fall, there was one of the most immediate burdens lifted. And it's, it's such an odd thing to say, because it's a burden I didn't actually think I had. Uh, it was a weight on me. Um, and I really felt like the Lord um, rescued me from doing something that I would have regretted in my forties. Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, the scariest thing in life isn't actually not getting the thing you want. It's getting the thing you want and you've tried your hardest and it, and it not being what you thought it was, right? And I think we see this, this existential crisis that we all run for. We go after something, something that if I've put my identity in this, it will satisfy me. Um, and I think the Lord just showed me early on, 
that's not that's not going to do it and i'm the only one that can satisfy you in that and so yeah it's it was I have zero regret. Um, I've never once looked back and I was really afraid of that because I was like, oh my gosh, all my friends are graduating from med school now. What am I doing with my life? Am I doing anything of worthwhile? And yeah, I've just not wrestled with it at all. There's, there's something so exhilarating and so um, satisfying in doing what you believe the Lord's telling you to do. And he does bring a contentment and a film fulfillment that I just can't express to others. Like, I think that the lie that we all believe, um, and I think we see this in the garden is <laughs> If I'm obedient to God, he's actually withholding something good for me. Mm. Every single thing, every time we sin, what is it? It's just like, yeah, but can I really trust you? Can I really trust you with every aspect of my life? And what I've seen over and over again in my life is that every time I've actually surrendered more and more control to him, it's actually been for my gain and my benefit, which is just a blessing by him because it doesn't have to be that way, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's a I'm sorry. That's a long answer but yeah it's so good and I I want to allow Becca to kind of take over some of this stuff but I do want to ask you um just as we're kind of uh getting into conversation here did you grow up in a Christian home what's your what was your faith journey like yeah um yeah I did I grew up in the youngest of six kids um uh, my, my parents uh, got saved when they were in their 20s I would say I grew up in a fairly healthy Christian home um definitely nothing um definitely nothing traumatic in that sense. Um, I've always, I would have always identified as Christian and I, and I really do believe I've had the Holy spirit in my life ever since I can remember. Um, but I would say there comes a point in every single one of our lives where we start realizing, is this mine? Mm-hmm. Like, do I actually believe this? And it actually was when I was in DC that I felt like the Lord showed me, um, that I actually didn't love him. And that was really, really hard because I thought I did. Uh, and he just showed me that I wanted what I could get from him uh, versus him uh, alone. And that was, um, yeah, it was just so humbling because I thought I was living this Christian life. But the more I look back on it, it was like, no, I was doing this because if you do this, do this, do this, do this, guess what? He now owes you this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived most of my life that way. And it's like, God, if I do this, if I, if I don't sleep around, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, then I am afforded these certain things. And, and it's a crazy thought because no one's sitting here thinking, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can have leverage over the God of all things. If he does exist, like, it's just a ridiculous claim to think that you would actually have something to throw like your life itself was created by him. Uh, but yeah, the Lord just showed me is like, you don't, you don't actually love me. And I, and I might, you might call me savior, but I'm not your Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the humbling so yeah, like prior to that, was I not a Christian? I would say, no, I think I was. Um, my story is actually a story, uh, I think of Christ just wooing me closer to him and closer to him. And I'm so grateful for that because I really can think, I can pinpoint moments back in middle school before of just genuinely the Holy Spirit being in my life in situations where I didn't, I shouldn't have had the wisdom that I had as a, as a 14 year old, as a 16 year old, as, a, as an 11 year old at times where it's like, why did I know this was not something I should when all my friends, even Christian friends are doing something, it's just, there was something there was like, no, the the Lord was there. Um, And I think that's the beautiful thing about sanctification. I think as we grow as Christians, what we're going to realize is every five years we look back and be like, "Ah, I didn't know what I was talking about then. Now it's just, you keep growing. And that's a beautiful thing because I think if we could get to a point that we're like, I've made it, um, I think we'd question how big God really is, how how knowledgeable, how how omniscient is he, if I can get to a point of actually fully getting it all. So, yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Um, Becca mentioned, and to your credit, Lou, you have not had the opportunity to listen to the first episode that we recorded together, and that's my fault. (laughs) But um, Becca mentioned in our first episode that there were certain areas in her life that she's not sure she wants the truth on yet. Um, But she's here anyway. 
And uh, some of those areas that she's more hesitant to surrender to Christ are in those issues of sexuality, purity, maybe. Um, So Becca, the floor is yours. Uh, Do you want to tell Lou a little bit more about your story and why you're not sure that you want to shine a light on some of those things? Yeah. So I think I have a pretty similar experience where I just, I grew up in a pretty healthy Christian home. Um, I kind of had to decide, is this my faith? Is this my parents' faith? And just really had to be like, I don't know why uh, I'm following Jesus when I really don't even know who he is. Um, And so I think that is um, a similar experience that I have. And then the second part, just like, I always grew up with purity culture. And I think it's so hard for me to be like, to give up my wants and my desires um, because I was taught such a very black and white um, kind of theology surrounding purity. Well, you and, also grew up Catholic, right? I yes. I just want to add that little, yeah. I grew up in such a black and white kind of purity stance where you either don't have sex and you're fine or you do and there's no grace and I think it just really hurt me and now as an adult just like re like seeing the layers of like hurt that I had I'm just like I don't want to go back to that mm-hmm. yeah wow um Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And um, I just want to affirm you should you should have felt like that was wrong because that was um, it should feel like when somebody says that uh, for some reason, if you fail here, you're actually outside of um, the love of God or even the forgiveness that he offers. And uh, one of the things that, Janelle, when you when you said my bio and you said he worked for an evangelist outreach. So that that outreach was it would be lumped into the abstinence purity ministries. Um, and I really actually appreciated appreciated the way the ministry that I worked for went about it um, because I think it was gospel centric but I'm very aware of purity ministries and the way purity is talked about one, it's heavily sexist um, because it's only about women. Like women uh, have purity, but for men, it's like boys will be boys, but you better make sure you stay a virgin. Cause if you do that, no one's going to um, uh, no one's going to want you. You are going to be uh, damaged goods. And, and I can remember there was actually one purity ministry and I'm not going to say its name, but there was a time where they would, they would pass around a rose in a big event. And um by the end of that, the rose would come back up and it would just be tattered and no petals left on it. And it's, and the, the point was like, if, if you, if you go around sleeping around, if you lose your virginity, this is what you're like. And then the question is who wants this rose? Who would want this rose? And the correct answer is this Becca, Jesus, Jesus would want that rose. Um, and that's the beauty of the gospel is that not a single one of us have actually, um, all of us have fallen short. And I think we're real good at, um, there's so many layers to this actually, when I, when I get into the topic of sexuality, because I have a variety of things that I like to talk about and the things that we've just done wrong as the church. And that's the frustrating thing. And I don't, I don't know if it was actually at a malicious intent. I don't believe it was. I think it was, um, even the purity movement itself, I mean, that was birthed right out of the sexual revolution where all these young, like older Christian men and women who made massive mistakes are like, how do we help teens not do the same dumb stuff we did? Like that's, that, that was the heart of it. Now, unfortunately, some of the tactics were just harmful. I mean, you're just told like, gosh, because if there's no sense of 
like if the goal is this wait until you're married to have sex and if you don't good luck in hell or there's no redemption for you it's like well what happens when you fail at that it's over why why would i want anything to do with christianity and that's an example where christianity is not good news for anyone um but i don't believe that's what scripture says in fact i i think scripture has a very high view of sex a very high view of sexuality but it also describes all three of us and every single person in this world as sexually broken doesn't matter if you're heterosexual, doesn't matter if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, doesn't matter what your experience is, it doesn't matter if you've if you're this perfect Christian, you're a virgin, you're, a virgin, you're still broken sexually. And what I mean by that is that you were born into sin. And so your desires, the things you lust after, all these things, and, and why I say that we're all sexually broken is because Christ in Matthew 5, he actually ups the scale, right? He says, you've heard it said um, that you should not commit adultery. He's like, but I tell you that even if you look at someone with lustful intent in your heart, and you've committed adultery. So what is he doing right there? Now, one, he's up, upping the bar way more than society ever thought. He's like, no, no, you're, you're thinking that some are, some are flawed and others aren't. He's like, all of you. But here's the most beautiful thing about that. And a friend of mine, Sam Albury, says this in one of his books, and I was just like so taken back. He's like, so, so often we hear that scripture and we turn it into the negative. It's like, geez, that's harsh. Like, how, how are any of us good, right? <laughs> But he says, turn it into the positive because what Christ is saying, what he's saying to you, Becca, is that your sexuality, um, you as a person is so valuable to him that it's not okay for somebody in the privacy of their mind to violate you. Even in the privacy of their mind. That's what Christ is saying. No other worldview tells you that your, your sexuality and the person you are is that valuable. In fact, I mean, the secular world says the opposite. It's nothing yet at the same time, it's everything. So it's a weird, that's, that's a, a frustrating thing to, to do there. But um, yeah, I just want to say, wow, that, that grieves me. And I'm so sorry. Um, and I'm so sorry that that's been the experience of Christianity because I think, um, and I'd love to get more into that, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait for more questions and, and what you have to say on this. Um, I think you were fed a very cheap view of the Christian sexuality. And often when we cheapen God's, God's design, there's backlash and um, the amount of men and women who are now still living in the pain uh, of what um, the church has said. And that's not me attacking the church. The church has made them flawed people. I'm not expecting the church to be perfect, um, but I do want to stay um, within Christian orthodoxy. I want to stay within what scripture has to say. And I think so often um, as Christians, we're really good at saying more than the Bible says. Uh, we often won't take away, but we'll, we'll add more to it. And I think that's an example right there. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just sorry to hear that. And, and I hope through this conversation, I can just shed some light onto why I, I do believe that the Christian view of sexuality is one of the most beautiful things. Like, I don't think it's just like, ah, we got to kind of talk about this because this is important. It's like, no, no, I think the, the rest of the world is missing out. I really do, because I think they've only heard the cheap view of it. And they wonder why though. And then they're sitting there like, yeah, but what what society's offering me is so much better right because just real quick what is what's the view of christian sexuality what's if i ask your average christian i will get two things immediately wait until you're married it's got to be a man and woman right so that's pretty much all anybody ever says too it's like that's those are the key points and here's the thing those two points are true with us in scripture but it's extremely shallow so shallow you're, it, it's like <laughs> it's like somebody asking you to just describe your favorite dessert or something and you say whipped cream it's like no no i get that you put that on top of but what's the dessert like we're, we're giving people the most shallow thing and that the world says be yourself do whatever because whatever you feel inside is actually you um and that's where you're going to find fulfillment and we wonder why everybody wants to choose this one over wait until you're married and it's got to be a man and woman it's so shallow and it's so frustrating because 
I think um, so many people are actually grappling with their faith specifically because of sexuality. And, and partly is because we've not actually taught what the Bible is really saying there. So that's good. Becca, what do you, do you have anything to respond to that? Um, I just think I agree with what you're saying, just like the shallow part. I think what was so hard for me growing up was just feeling like a bad person for having a sexuality, yep. which is like such a weird thing. But like having to learn that like God gave me sexuality was really like hard and that it was a good thing because I was always taught like sexuality is just bad. Like, yeah. just don't think about it. Yeah. I mean, and there are stories like, um, I mean, working for a purity ministry, I mean, there are stories of men and women who have waited until they're married to have sex and then they felt like it was defiling. They eventually, when they, when they actually got married and had sex, they didn't like it. They was like, this is wrong. That's not good Christianity. That's not even biblical Christianity. I mean, if you read Song of Solomon's, tell me if the Bible has a high view of sexuality. <laughs> like, if, I mean, it's like, it'll make you blush actually when you read it. You're like, oh, wow. Like, that's quite descriptive. <laughs> like, I didn't know. And so the Bible is very, very pro and positive sexuality. It does have parameters around that ultimately. And I think we know this too. I think we believe this to the core, even a secular person. It's got parameters because it often hurts when it doesn't go well. And a lot of us are walking around with a lot of sexual pain because of our own experience, because of what's been done to us, because of what we've done, all these things. And I think that's actually a really key point that we need to talk about as Christians. And that's why I think when, in order to actually speak about sexuality from a Christian standpoint, we have to give the overarching narrative. We can't just pick a verse. We have to say, what is all of scripture saying about sexuality? What is it saying about marriage? Because we can give very shallow answers, but the most beautiful one is actually the, the one that's all encompassing. And, and I think the reason why sex can backfire and our sexuality can backfire so hard. Like there's a reason why sexual assault versus physical assault is very different, right? very different. Why? What's what, if sex is just a physical act, why when, when a woman is sexually assaulted versus physically assaulted, one she'll carry for the rest of her life. If sex was designed for something so powerful, so beautiful, and it's used properly, no wonder it can swing. The pendulum can swing so hard this way. And we wreak the havoc of it. Like we see it, look at our culture, look at the, the pain we're walking through. It is so real. It's tangible. And it's a lived experience for so many of us. And I think a culture that tells you to find your identity in your sexual experience is so harmful because that's really great. If you had a great one, it's really great to find your identity and, and what you feel and who you are, all those things. If you had a fantastic life, but if you have any bit of trauma there, how do you separate the trauma that happened to you and versus who you are? Because it's often very difficult. Anybody that's gone through trauma in that way, it's, it's a very difficult time separating those two things. So that's why I think when Christianity speaks on this and tells you actually sexuality is this thing that God has created and is beautiful, but it's also temporary and it's not in the eternity. And we can talk about that too, but like uh, it does not make or break your life. It's actually not the, the end all be all. Christ himself is. And we often, here's where I think Christians have failed. Um, and I'd say myself included just miserably in this one is we say, we say that our identity should be found in Christ, right? My identity is found in Christ. But really, if we're honest, we find our identity in marriage and family. And I don't know where this started. I don't know if this is the result of the sexual revolution because the world was like, no, my sexuality is who I am. And Christianity is like, well, no, 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 sexuality can't be because sexuality is only for marriage. So marriage, I don't know where that turn happened. But if all your, all your value is tied up into something like this, 
and yet yours is fractured, or say you're LGBTQ plus, and the world says you, and the church says you don't get this. Well, no wonder why you don't want anything to do with the church. They're, t- they're telling you, here's something that's going to make or break your life, and yet yours is going to be broken, or you can't have it. And yet nowhere in scripture does it actually say that. Um, and, and that's where I think we have to be as Christians, very clear as to what sex is. I, I never want to demote mar- marriage. Uh, I don't want to like say that's this bad thing, but I do want to take it off its pedestal. Um, we don't even remotely discuss singleness as Christians ever. Like when's the last time you were in church and you heard a series on singleness? Every February, you're going to hear one on relationships, right? And how good marriage, and, and, and what, what are the, what are the small groups, the single small groups? What are those about finding your spouse? <laughs> Because you're just not quite, you're not living life yet until you're married. And so we've actually bought into that lie. And this is why it's so insidious. It's so dark. And we have, to be honest, we're in such a pit. We have so much, my, my goal when I'm speaking, on, especially on a secular campus, is just to show people that Christianity isn't arbitrarily bigoted. Because that's what it is, man. The moment I say I'm Christian, I believe in the Christian Orthodox view of sexuality. I'm a, you're a bigot. And I get lumped into the same person as the person that's holding the sign that says gays go to hell. And there's no nuance in between. There's no actually, well, can I explain to you why this is actually very consistent as to what I believe and why it's still good news um, to those in the LGBTQ plus community? Because I do believe the gospel is good news for every single person. The question that we often go back to is what is the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of a human life? And then where do I find my identity? And I think we often start with this. We, we start with secular answers to that. And then we wonder why Christianity doesn't line up with it. But you have to start with the Christian worldview in order to actually get to the, what the Christian worldview has to say about that. And I do think it's, it's beautiful and fulfilling. Um, a little bit about um, my own story, Becca, and then we'll go to another question. Sorry, if, if I'm ever just You're speaking fine. too You're much, fine. you Keep just going. shut me up. Like I can do, I can, I'm very passionate about this topic because I think it's so important. And I think we're going to, if we don't get it right, we're going to miss a whole group of people that actually want Christianity. They just have been taught a cheap one, but a little bit of my own story. So because I'm the youngest of six kids, um, I'm not married. Uh, all my siblings were married by like 20 I think the latest was 25. I'm 29 uh, now. And I've loved actually singleness. Um, I'm, I'm dating right now, but like this is the first relationship I've ever been as a 29 year old. Like I've been very, very content as a single person. And part of that was um, I saw the scriptures talk very highly of singleness. I tra- saw the scriptures talk very highly of um, what it meant to actually just say, though marriage is great, it won't make or break my life. And I also had five other siblings to watch. And this is not me coming at their marriages. They have beautiful marriages, but Marriage is beautiful and marriage is hard. Mm-hmm. And if you think it's going to satisfy you, you have not seen marriage enough. And it's the same thing with kids. Kids are beautiful. They're amazing. I have 13 nieces and nephews. I'm very pro marriage. I think marriage is one of the most beautiful gifts, but it won't make or break. In fact, it's very difficult. This is why Paul in Corinthians 7, or yeah, I think 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 7, he says, I actually wish you were all single like me because the married person is divided. There's a lot of responsibilities and he's not, he's actually not telling that he's not saying that marriage is bad. He's just saying, stop making it be something. It's not because even a good thing, if we make it ultimate becomes an idol. Right. And I think the reason why Becca, you've experienced this, this really toxic view is because we've idolized because what was it about? It's waiting until marriage, right? It's, it's, it's your sexuality is the purity that you have. It leaves the moment, you know, cause you have to only do it marriage and yet nowhere in scripture to say that it actually says the purity that you've been given is actually given to you through christ and what he's done right and that's not diminishing yeah i mean your your actions have consequences right and i would never try to tell anybody like no god really doesn't care about what you do before marriage. no he really cares but he ultimately cares because he, he loves you and he wants what's best for you and often when we use a gift outside of its design it hurts us 
Um, and I've, I've talked to enough people across this country and the world about sexuality to know, like, um, we're all walking around with a lot of sexual pain, um, especially those who have been the most sexually active. Um, because if, if it really was designed to be this covenant, this, this lifelong self-giving covenant, well, when we turn it into like a commodity and consumption and we do it casually, well, no wonder why it doesn't feel right. No wonder why it feels painful over. Now we can desensitize ourselves um, over and over again to it so that it's not that way anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do it. Um, we, because of the pain, I, I always find it so fascinating that like when you think of the pop culture and the, and the songs that are written both in every genre, why is it always talk about your first love? I always talk about the, your experience, your high school experience, your early 20s experience. It never goes to like, why, why is that? It's like, even they, even them, even they are realizing it. There's something about that first time that I did that. And there was, and it's never gotten, it's well, scripture says it was designed for that one person. Not, I mean, it might've been the wrong person. I'm saying, I'm not saying just because you, you had sex with that person it was right. I'm just saying there's something about that, that scripture actually says to, but here's the thing that I wish somebody would have told you Becca and no one did is that, you know, Christ had some of the most beautiful words said to the to a woman caught in adultery. I don't know if you've if you've read that passage. You said you read the Gospels. It's one of my favorite. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite passages because you're talking about a very sexist culture, right? Talking about a culture where women are, are really just are seen in fear. And even if you think today's culture is sexist, this one's way more. Is all I'm just going to say. <laughs> uh, women are less than men. Um, they're yeah, their testimony isn't the same, everything. They're, they're actually an aspect, it seems like an aspect of property. And, you know, here's this woman that's caught in adultery. And notice the man's not brought either. And two people, it takes two people to do adultery, right? It's not like this is by herself. They bring her, she's probably, they doesn't say this, but she's probably naked, I'm going to guess, because it was caught in adultery. They brought her, they threw her into the public square. And you have these religious men wanting to accuse, wanting to say, look, the law of Moses says when somebody's caught in adultery, stone them, kill them. And I love Christ's first response. The first thing he does is he gets on the ground and he starts writing in the sand. And oh, I would love to know what he wrote. No one does. It doesn't say it anywhere. But what I love about that is in doing that, he got all the eyes on him. All the eyes are off her. Just look at me. And he stands back up and he says, you who have no sin cast a first stone. And I also love it. It says, and from the oldest to the youngest, they started dropping their stones because the older you get, the more flawed you realize you actually are. <laughs> the older you get, the realize, man, I've jacked up this life. And then he looks to her and says, where are your accusers? Here's the thing, Becca. He said, you who have, no, have, who have not sinned cast a first stone. He was the only one that could have thrown a stone. He hadn't sinned. He could have actually just been like, yeah, you deserve this. I'm, I'm actually God. Like I'm the, I'm back there. I'm, I'm God. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he starts with saying, no, um, I don't condemn you. Um, I forgive you. But then he says, go and sin no more. Cause it was sin. He didn't shy away from the fact that, no, this is wrong. This isn't the way I designed it. Uh, but, but Christ is far more, um, Christ is far more loving and personal than I think we want him to be often. I, even as I say that as a Christian, he's far more gracious. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't have truth in that because often actually <laughs> there's times when I wish um, he, 
he was even more gracious to me because there, there are things where it's like, oh, that's frustrating because anybody that thinks that the gospel fits neatly into your life, like oh, you just got to say yes. And it's as simple as that is it's missing the gospel. The gospel is hard. And, and you talked about it. It's like, why would I give up these things? I don't know if I can trust this God. Why would I give up all these things when it seems like the people that have hurt me most are actually the ones that are proclaiming his name. Why would I want to do that? And I get, I get it. Um, Becca, I think it's like so frustrating. Um, but my challenge to you be like, um, anybody can claim Christianity and do things in the name of Christ. My question for you is what, how do you think Christ would respond to your failings? How do you think Christ responds to, um, a broken and contrite heart? Because he says that, um, a bruised street, I will not break. He says, are you tired? Are you weary? Come and I'll give you rest. And then he also says, and I'm willing to actually take on the sin, your life, because you're, you have sinned uh, and you are broken, but I've actually taken that on me because I love you that much. See, that is the story of the gospel. That is the story of, uh, of the gospel and sexuality. It's like, yeah, no, it is very real. And he can bring healing and he can bring uh, an understanding that we need to, to, to live this life the way we should. But Anybody that's ever said to someone, you're too far gone for forgiveness from God. Um, you're too far gone to receive any form of healing or love from him because you broke your, you, you've, you sinned sexually. Um, that's not the gospel. And it's a shame that that's, a, that's what's been said. I guess I have a follow-up question to that. Um, yep. And yeah. What do you say to somebody? Because I've been, uh, you know, the college girl who was, uh, you know, <laughs> goes to church, walk in the walk, and then behind the scenes, like really struggling in different areas of my life, including romantic relationships. And I liked my sin. I liked it. I liked Jesus, yeah. but I liked my sin. And I didn't yeah. want to give it to him because I wanted that. And it, it actually um, came to the point uh, in that relationship where, I said to God, you know what? I know this is wrong, but I want this relationship instead. Um, yeah. And by the grace of God, <laughs> we broke up. <laughs> and that, that was honestly not because of my, my choice. That was really yeah. a God intervention in my life. Um, but how do you respond to that, Luke? Because I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Sin has a flavor, right? It does. And it's, and it's good sometimes. Um, I'm guilty of it myself. I mean, a little bit of my story. I mean, I was heavily addicted to pornography for 10 years of my life. I was a great Christian guy. I'm not sleeping around. I didn't do any of those things. But one thing I could justify is like, well, I mean, what I do privately doesn't hurt anybody, all these types of things. Um, and I did like it. I wanted to keep doing it. And then all of a sudden the Lord just brought a conviction when I was like 19. I was actually, I think my sophomore year in college is when I really, because I was introduced to pornography very young. I was like eight or nine when mm -hmm. I first saw pornography. And, um, you know, there comes a point where the Lord so often we think of conviction as this bad thing, but it's such a beautiful thing. It's actually a gift from the Lord because he's, he's, he's trying to get you out of the thing that's actually destroying you. And I would have never said this thing was destroying me. I had no idea. It's not until now that I'm actually watching seeing the effects of it. Um, it's not until now that I'm realizing, wow, I really poisoned my mind to all these images and all these videos that I watched. And has there been healing? Yes. Praise God. Um, but there's an aspect of me that's even more broken because of that. And I chose it. And anybody that would try to say that <laughs> you can't have fun in sin or like sin is our, it's like, no, often I think that's one of the most enticing things of the enemy of our souls is that he's going to make sin very, very fun. But the question is, is it, is it fulfilling? And I think that's what we all want um, is we want fulfillment and satisfaction. I'm not talking about in the moment. 
of course we wouldn't do it like <laughs> you wouldn't have sex if you if it was just it was miserable it's actually not that is the way people would describe it um by the grace of God, he can intervene and he'll start showing you the emptiness it is. And sometimes some of us have to be led over to our desires. And that might seem harsh, but I actually find it to be really loving that he would say, look, ultimately I've given you this gift and I want you, and here's the way I've designed it. And, and I want you to follow after me. Um, but I'm not going to force you but one of the most loving things he can do is actually give you over to all of it mm. so that you hit a form of rock bottom to say, I need you. Is that his desire for your life? No, his desire is that you'd be in relationship with him. His desire is that you would actually walk all the days of your life in his will. Um, but we have our own volition. We have our own choices and um, he lovingly will he'll, he'll let us over to those things. And sometimes it just takes time. Now I've been the type of person I didn't, I don't have to have to go through something to to not want to do it. That's part of being the youngest of six, six siblings. You see, he's like, that gets soap in the mouth. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I just like learned. So I'm not the type of person that is, but I know people. I mean, one of my brothers is that way. He has to experience something to know he doesn't want to do it. And part of that's personality. Part of that's our own brokenness, our fallenness as humanity. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. You know, I, I wish I had a better answer. It's just like, yeah, because sin does, nowhere in scripture does it say it, it'll always taste bad or like that it'll be, mm -hmm you'll just be like, Oh, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's like, no, it'll, it'll actually have, there's an enticing, there's an enticement to sin. Um, and I know it all the well, but so what I would say now though, as someone who's, who's had pornography out of his life for years now, Oh my gosh, the joy and the, oh, the joy and the satisfaction I have now, not having that far outweighs. I mean, I, it's frustrating to even have to compare it because it doesn't compare. And yet I, when I'm talking to young men and women about pornography, I know the struggle too. I know that like, gosh, I don't want to do this. I mean, why does, why does Paul talk about, it's like, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do, I can't do. Wretched man that I am, who will save me, right? Mm -hmm. He knows the struggle. Paul was man. I mean, Paul, Paul was a human. He knew what this battle of like, gosh, Lord, why don't you just sanctify me now? Why don't you just take this away? Because I there is a, I desire it still. It's not like this empty thing. Like I still want to do these things and I know it's wrong, but I still want it. Um, I was actually speaking last night to a, a group up in uh, New York city, uh, a university up there and I was speaking on pornography. And I was just saying, you know, some of the, I think one of the reasons why God doesn't, why sanctification is a process. Why didn't he just take away that thing is um, God can give you a new heart immediately. In fact, I mean, salvation describes that he, he turns your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, um, but he can't give you Christian maturity. Hmm right? That, that takes a series of making the right decision over and over and over again. And I think what struggling through a sin for a period of time in life has actually made me, has humbled me, has humbled me to realize how much I actually need the Lord to help me and save me. And that I'm not actually going to do it myself. That I'll never be able to just like muster up the strength and, and, and never like, yeah, muster up the strength and stop being sinful. Like it, if we could stop being sinful, there's no reason why Christ had to die. We would just sacrifice one animal. Boom, done. I'm done sinning. But we can't. We're incapable of stopping the sin in our lives because we're, we're bent towards it. And again, I don't think you need to have a theology degree to see it. Just check your own heart. You probably lie to yourself more than anybody else. And I realize there's probably some people I talked to, I realize have probably had some terrible liars in their life. And I still stand by the statement. I promise you, you're probably worse to yourself than most people. You're not. I mean, we fail at it all the time. And in scripture, he just... 
it just highlights it. That's why it just comes to life to me. Cause I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah, that's exactly, it's exactly how I feel. Um, why do I feel so unlovable? Why do I feel so broken inside? What? No one's told me that it's just something in here. It's like, and I think the Lord shows us actually, that's what sin will do. The more pride you have in your heart, the more you choose sin over him. It just, it, you, it, you start to inwardly focus. And look, if you're looking to yourself for the answers, I got news for you. It ain't going to work. You've only been here for a short amount of time in the search. And for you to think that you have all the answers, is just insane. It's not going to be in you. It's going to be somewhere else. And that's why I think the most important thing about identity, you know, we haven't talked about that one, but like identity, the only place Christ never puts the word self in front of identity. The only place he puts the word self is denial. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we think we're self-made and this is part of being postmodern Western. We are so individualistic. It's not even funny. Like my life is my own. My identity is whatever I feel. And we think our identities can be found, but anything that can be found can be lost. Mm. See, Christ actually says, I give you an identity. You can't find this one. It's it's given. Boom. It's given by the author and the maker of all things. So it's like, that's the beauty of it. So we can actually rest in something. That's what it means to find our identity in Christ. Like, and everything else gets submitted underneath it. So like, I'm a white heterosexual male American, right? When I became a Christian, I didn't no longer be those things. I'm still those things, but they are all under being a Christ follower, being a son of God, being, and everything else has to answer to this one. And this is why I'd say when it comes to sexuality, it's so important. So some of my best friends um, are either gay or same, same sex attracted, depending on how they identify. Um, Typically my same sex attracted friends are are Christian who are saying, you know what? Um, I see it clear in scripture that actually God's design for this is, is one man, one woman in the context of marriage. And so I'm going to live this life like as a single person, unless God changes this in me, um, I will live this life um, single. And when I watch that and I see the fulfillment they found there and their identity is saying, so they're not saying, no, no, I don't have these desires. Cause I think that's one of the ways the church is like, cause another false, um, false doctrine that I've heard a lot is like, if you really love Christ, if you're really a Christian, you actually won't struggle with your sexuality. Um, there, you definitely wouldn't be same sex attracted. It's just a lie from hell. Actually. No, nothing in scripture would actually say that. In fact, why does Christ actually say, forgive us of our temptations and not lead us into temptation, or, forgive us of our sins and not lead us into temptation and not forgive us of our sins and forgive us of our temptations. Hmm. We're broke. I mean, and there is a spectrum. I mean, ask anybody, there is a spectrum of brokenness when it comes to sexuality. It's not even like, oh, I'm this. It's like, no, like there are certain things in your life that can just change views of it. I mean, why do you think even this concept of bisexuality and polyamory and all these things are, they're so in pansexuality. What is, what is that right now? Is this a new thing? No, it's not new at all. We've seen this all throughout history, but it's about finding our identity in something that can actually hold the weight of it. And I think sexuality is such a cheap thing. Because even if you get to express yourself all the ways you want and get to have as many or just one, whatever you want, whether it's just monogamous or whatever you want, it still won't satisfy. In fact, even God's design, God's design of one man and one woman in the country still won't satisfy you. In fact, scripture says over and over again, it never should. I, um, I, I'm going to be doing my second marriage later in the year and I'm officiating my second marriage. And one of the lines in there that I got from my friend, Sam, is that um, uh, as you look at this man, when you're saying this, at times, this marriage is going to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. Good. It's supposed to. 
it wasn't actually about your marriage in the first place. And this is why, I mean, and we haven't got into this today, but like my big argument when it comes to Christian sexuality and what we've done wrong is we've not told people the underlying theme of it all. And that's the fact that all of our sexuality, the design of marriage, the whole thing, the whole point of it was pointing to Christ and his bride. And the reason why I say that, and I was like, and there's more, and we can get into that. But the reason why I say that is because there's a unique, unique passage in um, Matthew where the Sadducees come up to Christ and they're saying, um, there's this guy, he was married to some woman and, but he died. And so his, his brother married her and the brother and the brother, and they keep dying, whatever. And, and so what they're saying is in the end, he's talking to Sadducees who don't even believe there is a resurrection, but he's like in the resurrection, who's this guy married or who's this woman married to, which of the seven brothers. And um, here, I'll read it right here. Christ replies to them in Matthew, this is Matthew 22 verses 30. He says, um, you're wrong. Uh, because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now that's a passage of scripture I've never heard preached from in the pulpit. And I think the reason why is because again, we idolize marriage and we don't want to get to the complexity of this one, but why is there no marriage in the afterlife? Well, does that not, I mean, we know the Bible starts with the marriage, right? We have the Adam. It ends with the marriage. Revelation 19, it's Christ and his right. And everything in there is pointing to that one. So why in the end is there no marriage, individual marriage or human marriage? Well, Becca, it's the same reason why you and I don't do animal sacrifices, right? Why in the Old Testament were they doing animal sacrifices? Was it actually atoning for sin? No, we actually know in Hebrews that it says it wasn't. But when Christ, the Lamb of God, was was on the cross and he died for the, he was the Lamb of God slain for the, the sins of the world... It rendered the rest of them obsolete. It's like, we don't do this anymore because what they were pointing to exists. It's final. In the end, there is no more marriage because in the end, what this was all trying to point to is final. It's over. We're not doing this anymore because that's the goal of it. And this is why the complementarity is key. And this is why I'm actually a big defender of like, I don't think what the Bible is saying is just find someone you love. I do think love has to do with it. Um, I think it's about a variety of things, but the core of marriage, the core of our sexuality is actually about accurately reflecting the relationship Christ has with his bride, the church. And so we see it in Genesis. We see it all throughout the prophets. I mean, Christ is, I mean, God is constantly referring to himself as husband. Like it's such weird language. And I don't know why we don't talk about it more. Why is husband and marriage all throughout scripture when it comes to God? What is he, what's he actually saying to us? He's saying to us over and over and over again, here's a beautiful gift I've given you, but it's not even about you. And the more you make it about you, you're going to hurt the people around you. And that's what we're actually living in a culture right now that does that. And that was radical back in the ancient Near East times when he was preaching. And it's radical now because we live in a time, again, that says your sexuality defines you. And if you don't, there is an innate desire in our heart that says, if I don't get to sexually express myself, if I don't get to be married, my life will be miserable. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, the scripture says, no, that's not true. I was flying home from London uh, a year ago before COVID um, and I had to watch a bunch of movies. So I had to stay awake so I could go right to sleep when I got back to Atlanta. And I watched three movies. Um, One was an action film, one was a comedy and one was like an animated Pixar. And I thought it was so interesting, such three different, very, very different films. And yet every single one of them had a similar theme, at least whether it was a minor theme or a core theme is different, but they had a minor theme is you're nobody until you have someone. Your life is miserable. You're, you're no one. You need someone. And over and over again, the Bible actually says that's not true. Um, no, actually, you can live a life that's fulfilling and not be married and not actually sexually um, be sexually gratified in that sense. Now, I'm not saying that's not hard. I mean, we live in a time that says that's impossible, but I've had to really wrestle with that myself. Like, as a 20-year-old guy, I've, I've never had sex. I've been trying to honor God the best I can with my sexuality. 
um, I've really wrestled and I've asked the Lord, like, Lord, would you have me be single for the rest of my life ultimately to glorify you? Because I'll do it. It's not my desire. I'd love to be married. Um, and if you, if you so grant me that privilege, praise your name. But if you say, Lou, actually for the rest of your life, I want you to be single. I say, praise your name because they're both good. And I think the moment we say it's not is the moment we say that Christ himself lived a subhuman life. Hmm. He didn't do it. He had no sexual encounter, was never dated, never got married. Um, and so for Christians to so highly view marriage in that way, and then Paul has, again, words all throughout Corinthians saying, no, actually, singleness is a really great option. Um, why that's so problematic, and I promise I'll stop speaking. <laughs> why that's so problematic is um, it's community, right? We're saying like, oh, but that means I'm alone the rest of my life. Because that's what it is. Like, think about it. Think about the way the family structure works here in the West. You don't have a family. You're alone. Why would I ever do that? Why would I give that up? If I can't, if I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And here's where another one, I just, this is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Um, this is, um, this is in the gospel of Mark. Um, this is right after the rich young ruler comes up to Christ and says, Hey, what must I do in her eternal life? And he's finishing that. And his disciples look to him and says, you know, we've given up everything. I think it's Peter it says, we've given up everything. What are we going to gain from this? And he says this. This is Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. See, we immediately jump to the eternal life one, but why does he say now? Because he's actually saying when the body of Christ operates well, you actually do gain brother and mother and brother or mother and father and sister and lands. And I've actually seen that in my own life. As a single man, I've actually seen the body of Christ operate that way. I've seen it happen in churches that understand, man, we've diminished singleness. And how do we love our gay brothers and sisters? Well, we better make sure they sure as heck have family. Um, this is the last time I'll bring up Sam. So Sam, again, is the speaker with me. He, we now work for different organizations. He's written so many books. I highly recommend them, Becca, if you're struggling at all, if you have like friends that, I mean, because I mean, the biggest struggle with me when it comes to sexuality is like, man, I have friends in the LGBTQ community. This is really hard. This is a hard truth. And part of the truth is because it's not, we're not speaking the same playing field, but Sam is, is same-sex attracted. He's been same-sex attracted his whole life. Um, and he's written multiple books, Seven Myths of Singleness, Is God Anti-Gay? Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? All these books are phenomenal. But I asked him one time, I was like, what's your, what's the hardest thing? And he's 40, he's mid forties right now. I said, what's the hardest thing about being a same sex, like celibate Christian man. And he says, so many people think it's, it's the lack of sexual um, physical or lack of sexual um, gratification or getting to do anything sexually. And he's just not even, not even close. He's like, that's not the hardest thing. He's like, that's hard. But he's like, it's not that bad. He said, the hardest thing is, is knowing that, um, if I die in my apartment, will anybody know for two weeks? Hmm. That's the problem that the church has right now. You want to know why the LGBTQ community doesn't want anything to do this? Because we don't have any good community. And we're telling them, give this up, lay it all down. And for what? Yeah, I want God, but it's like this life still matters. And this is where we need to come in and say, no, you can't have community. And I've seen people do it. I think the church is in an, about, in an awakening right now about realizing, man, we've mistreated singles. Because even as a single heterosexual man, you know, the first question I get when I walk back in home at church up in Pittsburgh. Did you meet anybody yet? yet? <laughs> yep. 
first thing why because it's like it's the way we do things and i don't i don't think it's malicious i really don't i actually think it's just subconscious and we need to be very careful because we are losing people um and there is a better way to love people and yeah i think i think if we're honest with ourselves even the best romantic partner eventually fails us Hmm. and we still got to answer that question what will satisfy me and christ says and john I am the bread of life. Yeah. I'm the very thing you need. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, Lou. Uh, you know, I've been married for almost 17 years. There'll be 17 years in August. And I love my husband, but he is not Christ. <laughs> right? No. And uh, if I could go back to my 20-year-old self, and uh, give that girl who was kind of struggling with whether, you know, to give up uh, things that she knew she was withholding from the Lord. Any advice, I would just say, Jesus is better. Um, mm-hmm. But, man, it, it is a struggle. The Christian walk is a, a struggle. It's back and forth. Um, Becca, I want you to be able to weigh in here on some of the things that Lou shared, because he's shared quite a bit um, and touched on quite a few different topics. So um, I want to hear from you. Yes. So I think my biggest question is you were saying, I'll bring you rest and God will bring us rest. And mm-hmm. I think something that was so hard for me, and it's kind of a question that I have for you is I felt so frustrated and I'm feeling so angry and so just tired of having to suppress my sexuality and just mm-hmm. be like, Oh, just wait till marriage. Like, And I think that was so hard for me. So like, how do you justify, I guess, that feeling of just anger and tiredness of having to be like, you have to wait till marriage. You can't think of anything, can't do anything until marriage. Like, why is marriage this kind of pedestal? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question, um, Becca. And well, so I, I think the, the initial answer is the reason why we're waiting, one, it's waiting if you get married. And I want to be very clear on that because I think that's the other thing Christians are really It's like, whenever you get married, it's like, who knows what the answer is on that one? Are you going to get married? Because I think we do see that as the default and the majority of us will. I'm not saying that's, we don't really need to diminish that. Um, if it's ultimately about reflecting this high thing, right? This is the pinnacle of what God wants to represent to man and women. Um, he protects it and he puts parameters around it. And ultimately he does that too, because he protects, he wants to protect us. And I think when I look at the brokenness in the society that we live in, the world we live in, and then also my own heart, um, I have not seen where being obedient to God in the realm of sexuality has actually came back to bite me, but actually the opposite. Now I've also believed that I was wrong. There are times, so pornography is a great example of that. It's like, no, like this, this, this actually doesn't make any sense. It it doesn't hurt anyone. Well, then I was real. Then, you know, as I get into my twenties, I realized actually this industry pretty much fuels sex trafficking and you won't even know the difference. Some of the women in those videos that you're watching are actually been trafficked and you have no idea which ones are which. Hmm. Well, shoot. Now I actually am hurting someone and I didn't know that. And then I started talking about, well, now I'm actually addicted to this thing. I want out of this and I can't. Well, being addicted to anything isn't a good thing. And I actually, the frustrating thing is like, why am I turning to this? What, what is, what am I thinking me getting to express myself sexually is going to do? Well, the answer is I think it's going to satisfy me. 
I think it's going to finally answer that inner angst of my soul that just says my life means something and I don't have to yearn for anything else. And the craziest thing is like, Becca, it's just, it's just not true. And, and I think the, now it, this is very, very hard in our culture. So hard. Every single show, every single thing we're talking about, TikTok, all of it, it's all sexual. It's hypersexual. And so to actually not be engaging in this, one is a massive fight. And so I get the struggle and I'm there with you, Becca, because it's like, oh my gosh, I've actually had to stop. I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch HBO series because they're so sexually explicit and I can't do it. Like that actually turns me back to a sinful self. It's like, I don't want to go there anymore. So I'm not, this is very, very hard right now, especially today when everything is so accessible. Um, but when you think about this idea of suppressing your sexuality, I, I don't, and I know you're using that term because that's the way it feels. I don't actually think you are suppressing your sexuality. Every time we're obedient to God, we're becoming more and more of the person he's created us. And yet, um, though that can be difficult because he says, deny yourself, right? I mean, what is the commandment to every single person? It's not come love me and things will be easy. It's actually come take up your cross and follow me. I don't like this idea of preaching to people that Christianity is this fun, loving, easy, go get notes. It's hard. The question is, is it true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. If it's not true, Becca, I think, I think Christianity is the biggest waste of my time if it's not true. I mean, seriously, what a dumb hobby. <laughs> go, like, go buy a boat. Go do something fun. Gosh, this is hard uh, stuff. Um, but I found it to be worth it. And I've actually found it to be satisfying and fulfilling. And that's the thing I don't know how to express outside of actually in, in, encountering it. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, if you have this dessert, it'll be the best dessert you ever have. But it's interesting because even after you do that, you, you wonder, is there better dessert out there? Like there's no, everything, the life we live is so like, there's something, there's always more and there's always more. And so I don't think the struggle that you have right now in feeling you're suppressing your sexuality is like, well, one part of that's just biological, right? Our body, I mean, we are sexual beings and we don't need to um, be ashamed of that. I think the key in not um, feeling you're suppressing yourself is actually hearing the truths of scripture of, of what your sexuality is about, is being honest where you're at and not having to feel like you have to hide it and saying, oh, I can't tell anybody about this. Like, I am so open with people about when I'm like struggling with a temptation or sexual sin. I, I don't. I don't deal with it anymore. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done trying to hide. I'm done trying to pull, put this in the closet and nobody else. And I'm like, here it is. Here's me. And fortunately, God's actually gifted me with a community that can, that I trust and that has actually loved me through that. But it's hard when you don't have that. And that's why I think church community is so insane or, and so, so good and finding a church community that actually loves you well. Like so often it looks like Christians are just big as like, church is like this club you need to go to just to check off the points it's like no you need a you need a community because this life is hard uh and the longer you know becca i i do this for a living i speak daily on why i believe the christian faith and can i tell you there are some days i forget why i do it the christian the christian gospel is, is, is a, the christian walk is a fight to remember because i still have a sinful flesh that wants to be lord and I don't like not being Lord. I want to be in charge of my life. And if I'm honest, though, when I look back at my life, when I was Lord, it didn't go well. And I wasn't qualified. Like, I didn't know all the information. And I'm not saying in every, every circumstance. No, some, some, it seemed like it worked out fine. But when you, 
don't see it necessarily. And I know this seems probably counterintuitive. Like, what do you mean? Don't see that as a bad thing that you're saying no. You're, you're saying no to yourself in order for something greater. We, we know countless studies have shown delayed gratification is is a beautiful thing. And there's actually something there. Um, there's something about holding something of such value and treating it as such and, and, and recognizing its beauty versus just do whatever we want with something. Um, but I, I know that's a, I, I'm not even satisfied with my answer on that one because I, I get it. And, and I just want to tell you, like, I, I understand. And, and I don't want you to think that you're crazy or like anybody else is like, no, no it's hard. Uh, but we do it ultimately because we, we believe we're living for something much greater than ourselves. But if you believe that your life is simply for you to enjoy and do all these things, then yeah, I agree. This is dumb. I wouldn't do it. But if you believe that you were created with a purpose, you were created by the God of all things, and he's actually designed this for, for this. Um, the question, and I said this in the beginning, the question you have to ask is, can you trust him? That's the number one answer all of us have to ask. This is, if it's true, can I trust this God with my life? Um, it's a scary thing to do. It's a scary thing to, to hand over the reins of your life and say, you do this. Um, you get to call the shots. But when I look at scripture from Genesis to Revelation, I see a God that's steadfast in love. That's constantly wanting the best for me. And sometimes the answer isn't what I want. But even the answers that I didn't want years ago, I can now look back and say, wow, you've actually done something so beautiful in that. And so, yeah, it's hard. And I, I don't want to yeah, give you a cheap answer because it's there's no, um, there's no real uh, solid answer there other than what you need to really wrestle with is, is this true? And if it's true, is he worth following? And I think in light of what he's done there, this is why I think everything in Christianity hinges on the cross. This is what Paul says. If Christ didn't resurrect from the grave, we of all people should be pitied because we have a vain faith. God himself dying for your sins and saying that now you have a relationship with him. Becca, this isn't the only life you have. And we don't want to believe that. We want to think this is it, but this is not this. In fact, this life compared to eternity is a blip on the radar. It's not even comparable. It's it's nothing. And this is why Paul says in Romans, this this light and momentary affliction, um, or in Corinthians, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory, right? I do not consider the sufferings that we're doing, even comparison, right? Why? Because he's constantly saying, look to the future. Look, we are now in a broken state and there are still good things, right? There's still common grace. We still get to appreciate food. We still get to appreciate good community. We still get in some ways to appreciate sex and marriage if in, in, the, in the right context with the Lord. But in the end, there will be a satisfaction. And, and I would hate for anyone to say, because the moment you say, okay, God, all this, just not this, you're still God. <laughs> you're still calling the shots. And it might not look it because you're like, no, no, but I'm giving up all these other things. I just want this one thing. Well, that's the thing that's actually God in your life. The thing that you can't give up, and I, and I think the more we're willing to relinquish control in those things, we will find him to be good. And if you've not, that's why I say, I know it's scary. You try it, and I'm not saying it's going to be overly easy, but I do believe you will find a satisfaction there, even in the pain and the frustration. Um, and I don't believe you will find it to be suppressing. Um, I think you actually find it life-giving because Christ limits your freedom in the sense that anything limits your freedom, like anything you of value limits your freedom, <laughs> but it's the right parameters in order for your flourishing. And he does want you to flourish. Hmm. Yeah. Just to add to that real quick and Becca, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but 
I know for me, you know, there's been seasons in my life where I've, you know, felt like I was giving God all these things, like he needed all these different things that I wanted to give him. But I'm just going to hold on to this thing over here because I deserve it. My anger of over giving that to him was my pride. It was, I deserve what you, you know, this thing. And the fact is, like, as Lou's like sharing this, like, in giving it to him, I found him trustworthy, you know, even, even though he ripped it from my hands, basically, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and, uh, and it, he's, he's always a gentleman. I don't want to say he actually ripped it from my hands, but he, <laughs> he did. He, uh, he didn't give me over uh, to my own destruction um, in my life. And I, I'm forever grateful for that because I've seen what he does when he takes something, um, when we begrudgingly even give it to him. And he says, hey, yeah. I, I offer something better. Um, Becca, what are your thoughts on all that? I think it gave me more questions, honestly. So sorry. No, that's great. But I think like, I think personally, from personal experience, um, fully transparent here, this semester, I got into kind of like a weird, not relationship, relationship where it honestly hurt me a lot. And I ended up hooking up with him on just like a random Sunday evening, going back to a church group in the evening. And I knew a couple of my friends kind of knew. Um, and the only question they had for me was, do you feel shameful and do you feel guilty? And I didn't. And I think I wrestled with that for like a good month. Like, okay, like why don't I? Like, am I a bad Christian for not feeling shameful? Am I a bad Christian for not feeling guilty? And it was kind of just like this battle. And I don't know. That's kind of my question. So what do you say to that? Yeah. Um, well, I think shame and guilt um, are often, and especially in that language, are often tactics of the enemy. I think conviction is, is what we're actually going for. Um, shame and guilt is your sin and the cross doesn't exist. Conviction is your sin, and then there's the cross. Um, I think, so I think back to my my 10 years of pornography, did I feel guilt and shame? Sometimes, did I feel heavily convicted? Sometimes, not all the time though. In fact, I was able to justify it. Um, was it because I wasn't a Christian? Um, again, I don't, I don't think so, um, but I do think we can, uh, desensitize ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I do believe that conviction will come. Um, the more we give ourselves over to sin, it, it will come. If, if we are actually have a relationship with the Lord. And that's the other thing. Like, there are so many people that was like, well, I grew up in church. I'm a Christian. It's like, no, that doesn't mean anything. The question is, have you actually repented and, and, and given Christ Lordship of your life? That's actually becoming a Christian. And we do that daily. We like, we submit our lives to him every single day. And so sometimes we don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life because we just, we actually don't have a relationship with God. Um, and we, and there are, there's a reason why in, in scripture, Christ talks about, there will be many that come up to me and say, I did this in your name. We did these things. And he's going to say, but I didn't know you. Like, and that's not me saying that you're not a Christian. I have no idea. You like, the question is, have you actually, um, have you repented of sin? Have you and, and confessed the Lord and Christ, the Lord of your life and actually meant that into as a heart meditation? Cause if not, 
not, then then look, it's great. And I think you should keep going to church. I think you can keep getting these questions answered. But um, one of the answers could be that you're not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit because there's actually no relationship there. And and one of the most loving things I can tell you right now is like, well, then you're then you're actually not a Christian here. But that's not me. I'm not even saying that's what it has to be. Because like I said, there's there's times in my life where I actually didn't feel the conviction. Was I not a Christian? No. There, there's just two things there. Um, and and just be honest with yourself on that too. Um, there are times, man, I lied to myself and I couldn't even know I was lying to myself. Um, gosh, I wish I <laughs> I could go back. I mean, there are times I was like, wow. I actually lied myself, lied to myself to the point that I believed it and I didn't know I was lying. Um, there could be that in it. Um, and let's see, there could also be a fact, I mean, you shared a little bit of your story and just like the frustration you've had with the church and the way, um, the way they just treated sexuality, the way you felt frustrated and even like, yeah, hurt by that. And then you had this, encounter with somebody that seemed to love you and and treat you well and there's the excitement of sexuality there and you're like i didn't feel wrong it felt if anything it felt healing or encouraging um i said this before and this is to janelle's point sin sometimes doesn't i mean it takes a while before we even realize its consequences or the conviction of it and i actually think when you look at conviction when it comes to a christian a baby christian someone that's just barely knows Christ conviction doesn't come until you've done the sin. And as you start growing and you, the mature Christian or like little teenager Christian, whatever it is, conviction starts to happen right in the moment of sin. The most beautiful thing is the mature Christian conviction happens way before you even sin. So where you are on that spectrum, who knows, you, you know, better than anybody else. And maybe God only knows what that, but um, just because you're not, I, I, I get it. Like, it's all I'm going to say. I, I get, like, I don't think you necessarily have to feel like not all sin has the immediate consequence of feeling guilty or, or shameful. Um, and that does not make it right. Um, because that does, I mean, there are, there's a variety of things that we can do where we don't immediately see the problem with it. I mean, how much of my life have I lived in pride and not letting God call the shots? And yet I never felt guilty or sinful for it. I think what's been hyped up is that people have said, and if you fail in the realm of sexuality, you're going to feel so overly guilty. And really what it's actually, it's the words of others, not actually the feeling from the thing. Um, and that's not me at, at all justifying um, sin or sexual behavior outside of marriage. I'm just saying um, we're complex individuals. Like humans are not easy to, to like <laughs> understand. And I think the Bible describes our heart condition really well, uh, but everything, every single, every, every person has such a unique story and that story influences the way they, they relate to things and how they think about things and how, I mean, I look at my own life. I'm like, wow, I'm a complicated individual. Like I'm trying to better understand who I am. So um, I do believe it was outside of God's design, Becca, is what I would say. And, and I think anything outside of God's design is sin. But um, yeah, I, I don't think you need to, I think the real question you just need to ask is like, do, do I have a relationship with or Do I actually believe this? Or is it, have I just been going through the motion? because i know that feeling as well as a christian where it's just like yeah i just kind of do this um there's no real there's no real commitment to the lord it's just kind of like it's a moral thing and i think i should be a good person and christianity happens to be the, the my drug of choice in that like it teaches me to be good and i want to do that and i think there's kind of cool community and that's where i just challenge you to be like christianity is such a lame hobby if it's not the thing that changes your life if it's not the thing that you're like no this is the meaning of life then i i think 
it, it ends up being frustrating and you, it actually just gets in the way of the things we really want to do. But if it is true and then the Lord reveals to you like, no, um, I do want what's best for you, Becca. And I will forgive that. Um, anybody that asks for forgiveness, anybody that actually feels uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, no, you know, I did that. That was wrong. But maybe that comes later. I don't, I don't think you need to feel overly um, guilty right now. Becca, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then I had something I wanted to share. Um, I just feel like I'm having a hard time really with the question of like, am I going through the motions? I don't know. I just feel like in my life, like I've never felt closer to Jesus in this specific time in my life. But yet all my beliefs and everything that I believed was right, was wrong. That's just been tumbling down. And I just, I love your question, but it's also really hard for me to understand as well. Hmm. True. I'll say this, you know, um, as someone who, uh, you know, was in a place where she was, you know, giving God some areas of her life and then other areas like consciously withholding. Um, and I know just from our first conversation that I, I think that you know that there's some areas of your life that you're maybe withholding or you don't necessarily want light sh shown on. And we're having an uncomfortable conversation about one of those things that maybe, <laughs> which you signed up for, so it's your fault. <laughs> but, you know, like um, it is uncomfortable. Um, and I, I think it's a great question that Lou just asked. I also know, because um, the Christian walk is a journey. Mm -hmm. And for me, and, and Becca, this might also resonate with you, but um, there was a point in my life um, about, I don't know, 12 years ago, I was at a funeral and someone who had deeply, deeply wounded me came up to me and said, um, and she had been withholding love for me, uh, from me for at least 10 years at that point. Um, but she came up to me in front of other people and said how much she loved me. And I was so hurt and so angry um, that I said to her exactly what I felt, which was, do not say things to me that you do not mean. And then I walked away and I felt no conviction or guilt or shame about responding that way at all. And I'm a Christ follower. It actually felt kind of good. It felt kind of good to be like, this is what you get for treating me the way that you've treated me for the last 10 years. Now, fast forward five years later, still walking that up and down road with the Lord. Five years later, very similar funeral situation, standing there. Someone else has passed away that we both love. She's there. And it was like the Holy Spirit just nudged me and said, go tell her that you love her. I did not want to do that in that moment. However, I could feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It didn't come on like a big hammer. It didn't come on like this big, like, oh, shame on you. You're such a wretched sinner, Janelle. It came on like somebody gently whispering in my ear saying, I love you. Now you go do what I did for you on that cross. And so I did. I went over to her and I said, you know, five years ago we were here. I said uh, that don't say things you don't mean. I said, I just want you to know I love you too. And I'm sorry. And she goes, okay. And she walked away. Um, that was very hard, but you know what? It was the Holy Spirit that empowered me to see my sin, 
that I hadn't been recognizing for five years, Becca, not once, not once in those five years did I regret that I had turned away from her. Mm. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. And one thing I will say to you, um, you know, if you desire a relationship with the Lord and you're like, man, I want to be, I want, I want you, even if there's areas in my life that I really don't know about, that I want to give you, but I want you, if you ask him to shine a light on those areas, the scripture says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my wicked ways and see if there is any wicked way in me, I'm sure I'm misquoting here, and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, he is faithful to do that. And he does it gently. He does it gently. And he says, look, I loved you so much that I came into the mess and I love you. I, nothing is hidden from me. I know what you did when you hooked up with that person. I know what you were searching for when you did this or did that or why you don't want to give this to me. He knows that hair is on your head, but he loves you. And he says, look, I offer something better. And the longer I walk with Jesus, and I'm older than both of you by a lot, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> age, is, age is relative. Um, the more I see, man, God, you are so faithful. You are so faithful. And so I hope that encourages you a little bit. I, I think that question that Lou asked is so important. I think you should ask God about that, but take it to the cross, not out of, oh man, maybe I don't really want him, but maybe just yeah. saying, God, I, I want you and show me, show me if I'm withholding something really big here. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the most beautiful things that any of us can pray is just like, Lord, if I, if you really are real, like, is that such a, just be real? I, I think so often with prayer, we get so like... <sighs> Like if it's actually a real thing, if, if prayer is a real thing, you have the ability of like talking to God and he actually listens. That's a fascinating claim, one. Um, but like with a gen genuine and humble heart saying, Lord, I I want a relationship with you. I just got problems. So I was like, and if this is if this is problematic the way I'm living, can you can you help me not? And can you bring conviction? Like just be real. Um, but if you're not, that's fine too. I mean, this is salvation is such a an interesting thing too because it's like it's, it's god's timing and he's going to show up when he i don't want to say exactly when he wants to like there there's that timing of when like when are you actually willing to say lord you can have it all um and maybe you've already been there honestly and i and i, and I say that genuinely i'm not saying like oh really no maybe you've already done that and you're just still struggling through the weeds of like i don't know or maybe you actually haven't uh, but i think it's just a genuine there's no there's no harm in just being, Lord, I don't even know if I'm actually, do I have a relationship with you? And the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe that you can have a relationship with them? And if you can, why is that the case? Is it because you're somehow good? Or do you actually believe that it's because of what Christ has done? Do you believe the Christian gospel, which is that you, Becca, I mean, if you alone were on this earth and you committed, Christ would still have died for your sins and said, no, no, I, I've now given Becca the opportunity to be in a relationship with me. And I will pay for all those, all, all, the, all the sin. Um, and now she's in right standing with me. If you believe that and you're saying, God, that's, that's what I do believe. Um, but I'm struggling with, with these things that you say are sin. Cause you know, it's, it's one thing I think we can definitely still feel very close to God, um, and still be sinning, especially when we're not going to the word for those answers. Like if you have a very shallow understanding what, like, but this is why the Bible is, is so important to us. Cause we want, he's given us his word to understand what he actually one, how much he loves us that over and over again, he's showing us that in the whole story of scripture, but he's also just giving us signposts like, and this is the way life, I, this is the way I've designed life. And anytime that we step outside of that, that is what sin is called. It's like when we step outside of his design, his way. Um, and we just say, Lord, if that's actually true, 
I don't feel like I'm doing that. Like this doesn't seem wrong. If it is wrong, will you bring, I, I don't say bring a sense of shame and guilt. I, like I said, I think shame and guilt are a tactic of the enemy because that's like sit there and walk. No, it's just like bring conviction, bring conviction to my heart. Say, actually that was wrong. And I want to return from that and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And let me, let me um, shoot more for the way you would have me uh, live this life. That's just the, the genuine, like just being authentic with God. And I know that seems like no duh, but truly it's not something we do very easily. Like we don't actually just get real with God half the time. We actually will do it in conversations like this, but then when we're alone, we get all like, uh, Lord, um, if you hear me, <laughs> Holy Lord, like, it's like, no, just be real. I, I mean, I, this is the one thing I love about Christianity. Is like it gives me a complete, like full functioning vehicle to go straight to God and be like, God, I am struggling and I don't want to do this. I want to sin. I want, can you help me if that is the case? Um, but yeah, I, I'm, and again, I, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I, I don't, for, frustrates me that your friends were just like, do you feel guilty or shame? I don't know what their motive is. Maybe their motive was just like, maybe because they too want to do it and they don't know what, I, I don't know. But I think that's a problematic way to go about that. When somebody shares like, Hey, this, I don't know. Um, our heart for each other should be that we want others to know and experience the love of God. And as a Christian, I believe the only way we can love and experience, know and experience the love of God is, is because of what Christ has done. And he is the avenue. He is the one way to Christ. Or he is the one way to God uh, because he's the only one that's actually made a way to do it. Um, and, and the more we stray away from that, the more we get into the, the religiousness of things, I think it actually causes harm. So um, yeah, the goal here, Becca, is to know him. Um, it's not to stop sinning. He'll change that. You could, again, if you could stop sinning, if you could stop doing things that were not the way he wanted you to do it, then you wouldn't need him. Like I always am challenging people, search him, look to him, go to him, become to know, know him and let him be the one that changes your heart. Let him be the one that says no, that's wrong. And one of the ways he does do that. And this is where I, I do struggle a little bit with what, what, what progressive Christianity is doing today. And this is where you can just be careful by the Christians you're listening to is like, no, say this prayer, believe it. And now you're with him. And now you're just going to figure out your relationship with God. It's like, well, what if he's actually given us answers? And he's spoken and he's given those things, but we're not, I was like, mom, but I kind of want to see what he said. It's like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and I think it's this, it's this weird. Um, it's, I, I say it's not Christian because it's not, it's actually not, <laughs> this is not how Christianity has ever worked. This is not, it's like this understanding is like, we're now finally understanding what this, but it's like, no, it's just not true. I'm sorry. Like the people that probably understood scripture the most, like I'm not going to bank on the fact that I, a 21st century white American evangelical understood, understood the word of God better than the disciples or better than the early church fathers. It's just crazy. They had actually had encountered, if anything, I think we're fraying or deterring away from that. But I'm just saying the word of God is our, it says it's a lamp unto our feet. It helps us. And so when we are looking for those answers, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wise for us to be like, well, I mean, I'm a Christian now, so I'm just going to know that answer. I mean, look at the fractions and the factions within Christianity. That's a bunch of us saying, I know, and the Holy Spirit's telling me this without backing it up in scripture. Like, that's why we do believe that we hold, we hold the word of God with such reverence, not because we think it's like, oh, like, we believe God is actually made, like, it's one thing for God to say, I want you to know me. It's another thing. It's like, and here's how you can, like, I've given you, here's what I'm like. And then it actually explains God himself. It says Christ is God incarnate. God is like, he is the image of the invisible God. So looking to Christ and seeing what he has to say about these things gives us that answer versus us just figuring it out. Uh, I just think can be problematic. 
All right, Becca, final thoughts on that, and then I'm going to give you the final question to give to, to Lou. I think I want to kind of answer a question that he, uh, he asked. Um, did my friends ask that um, because they were jealous in a sense? And honestly, yes, it came out of a place of jealousy. And just to explain some of the conversations that like I had to have afterwards was just like, I think Christians do a bad job by kind of saying wait till marriage in a sense not not that that's not because God's design but from a comment that my friend made was if I'm not married by 25 I'm just gonna go through a hell phase I think a lot of us kind of because marriage is that like end goal and like you can't have sex or first your sexuality before sex I think sometimes that kind of thoughts come out. Can, can I just ask you a real quick question? Mm-hmm. If, if you don't feel free to not answer this. I just want you, if you can, just be as authentic with me as possible. Um, clearly you said you don't feel conviction from it and that's fine. I'm not even coming. Has that radically transformed your life in the sense that you're now no longer questioning the things you questioned before? Like, has it answered has sex in, in, in hooking up with this person, has it actually done the thing that people promised it would? I don't know. Okay. I think, sure. like, if I were to answer the question, I think it's kind of confusing because it didn't do what people said it would, which of shame, and I don't feel less than. And so I think it confused me a lot more because before I was like, okay, like, this design it's going to be great and then like afterwards we're like it wasn't that it didn't really feel like I ruined this big plan sorry yep sorry and I'm not gonna I didn't mean it by that way I meant from mm-hmm. the positive take not the negative uh, I'm not asking about the negative like because people were saying oh it'll destroy it and that's what I'm saying I'm saying what culture says about what sexuality like you you did um, hook up with this, this guy and, and probably in the moment is great. I mean, this is what, this is why sex is so appealing. Cause it is a, it's a fun activity. It's, it's, but I'm, I'm asking, it's like yeah. leaving that experience now, like you're like, I'm so pent up. I'm so frustrated. I got to suppress my sexual. You got to do that. Are you in a different state? Has it answered the very thing that you're like, has, has that, I don't want to say, has it fulfilled you? Cause I don't think you would say, I don't think anybody would say, has it fulfilled you? But it's like, is it from the positive, has it paid out what it said it would? No, it didn't. And I think like, what was like, I think society was like, oh, do it. You'll never have those questions again. Like I still do. Like it didn't help anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's not me saying like hook, line, seriously, gotcha. I'm just saying like, that's, that's the kind of stuff. That's why I think our culture is so, so insidiously good at is like, like, no, no, this is it. And then we do it like that didn't, that didn't do, that didn't keep the promise it said it would i'm still struggling with the same dang questions like i still got this <laughs> i'm still f- trying to figure life out i still i'm still questioning whether my life has value i'm still questioning like will i ever remain all these things like it didn't do and that's what i'm saying like why i think it can be so insidious because but sex more than any other thing i think because oh because it's such a beautiful thing that god has designed um even when we use it out of its context there's still a, a depth of beauty there and there's still something appealing to it and yet it's it gets frustrating and more and frustrating as the more we engage in it because it keeps falling short of what people said it's going to do 
and, and this is why, I, I mean, this is why I think every magazine, I mean, you look at teen magazine or whatever, or maybe not teen, I don't know which ones. When I'm walking to the grocery store, I see these magazines and there's always some magazines, like top 10 tips to make your sex life amazing. And I always, I find this so funny because I'm like top 10 tips, like we've been having sex since the beginning of human humanity. Shouldn't we have already figured, I mean, if it was about technique, if it was about this and this, should we have not have figured this one out yet? And yet there's still, we're still coming out because it's not. And I think it's getting more and more involved. We're, in, we're bringing more and more things into our sexuality because it's like, it's still not doing those things. And so, um, yeah, I, I thank you for being honest. I was just honest with me. I was just very curious because I, I do, I hear that similar response, which is like, no, it was fun. I, I, I actually did enjoy it. It might not feel like fiction, but it, it definitely didn't do what people said. It didn't pay out what I thought it would. Um, and I think that just gives us a little bit of a signpost of just, again, sin has its flavor, but it doesn't. Christ when fully gained. And I know that's the, the that's the struggle with it. When, what is what does it mean to be Christ fully gained? And the, it's hard to actually describe other than when you've when you've encountered, like when you when he's actually satisfied your heart and not saying you don't struggle with it anymore. When fully gained, he is the only thing that if you fail, he'll forgive you. And if you get him, he'll satisfy you. Every other thing, I promise you, if you get it, and I'm getting this from Tim Keller, if you get it it will, or if you get it, it won't satisfy you. And if you fail it, it will destroy you. Mm -hmm. If you don't live up to the expectations that you have from with sexuality, it will be an, it'll be a decay in your life. And you're like, ah, oh, it's not, it's not doing the thing. And we can, we can do this with finances. We can do this with sex. We can do this with career, everything. Christ is the only thing that if we do get, he will actually satisfy our hearts. And I'm not, that's not saying it's not going to be a struggle. And the most beautiful thing is this, is if we fail it, he'll forgive us. I don't know of another thing in this world that if I fail, uh, if I fail to, to, to meet the criteria, if I fail to meet the level of what society that, that I'll be forgiven. It's, in fact, it's just shame. It's guilt. It's all this, and, and that's why it's just frustrating that even the church can use those tactics against us. Well, Lou Phillips, this was an awesome conversation. We have one final question um, and final thoughts from Becca. This has been really authentic and vulnerable. And I, I greatly appreciate your ministry. Um, so thank you for coming on here, Becca, final thoughts, and then I'll have you ask the final question. Oh, just thank you so much for, um, really just being honest about, you know, it's messy and it's not a perfect answer. And I just appreciate you asking me the questions and I'll definitely, <laughs> try to answer that in my own life yeah very cool and can i just say thank you for and i mean this i know whatever it can seem fake we don't know each other but i really appreciate how authentic you are um and if there's anything truly and i mean this if there's anything you gain from today um please know that there's nothing you've ever done and there's nothing you ever do that will that will refrain christ from actually loving you and i promise that he's promised that to every single one of us and that you're never no one including no one gets to the point where there's such damage goods that god says no i don't want you never god god actually does love us and so whether this is a conversation you start thinking about a year and have a year and a half from now or 10 years i don't care i just want you to remember that whatever any christian ever says to you you're not damaged goods god does love you and he is willing to forgive anybody that comes to him just in it with the humble heart amen the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. 
Of those gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, what stands out the most to you in your life right now and why? Mm, gosh, that's hard. You know, right now, I'm going to say eternity. Uh, and here's why. Um, yeah, this, I think this last year has been so hard. Good Lord, it has been hard. And I'm questioning like, Lord, why? Uh, why this? Why this? And um, a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I've been just clinging to this year is, um, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Um, and the reason why I say eternity in that point is because, um, man, this life doesn't go the way we want often. And if this is it, if this is all we have, oh my gosh, what a disappointment. And that's me taking in the good things too. I love my life. I, I've been so blessed in so many ways. And I'm so grateful for the things I've been able to just experience, the travel, all of it, it has been good. And it's in, in some comparisons, it's ridiculous, the, the, the blessings I've been afforded. But pain sucks. <laughs> Disease is terrible. Death is hard. And I so look forward to the fact that this isn't the end. Um, there's going to come a day where um, the brokenness that I have in my heart won't be there anymore. There's going to come a day where God, um, I think C.S. Lewis says it best in The Great Divorce, where he, he just makes things untrue. It's not that these, he's not going to wipe my memory behind, like wipe my memory when I'm in heaven. It's like, oh, this doesn't happen anymore. He's just going to make them untrue. And, and I think this is, and I said this earlier, but I think this is why Paul in, in Corinthians says, um, for these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I think it's so interesting that he says light momentary affliction. It's like the, right now it does not feel light and it sure as heck doesn't feel momentary. It feels hard and, and it's not even just like, and yet he, he compares those words to the opposite, eternal weight of glory. And so I, I'm just so grateful um, that the God I serve and the worldview that I belong to uh, in the Christian faith is that, yeah, there will come a day when there will be no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth. There will be no more guilt and shame and anger and frustration. There will be just pure bliss uh, when I'm in the presence of my Savior. And I cannot wait for that day. Mm. Amen. Well, Lou Phillips, Becca Schultz, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Becca, I hope that you come back for next week. Uh, I haven't scared you away yet, have I? No, absolutely not. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here for this. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.